Welcome to the Code Life Podcast with me, Blackaby. I couldn't think of my name. It'd be great, mate. Carl Beach. Hello, mate. Hello, Blackers. You doing all right? All right, mate. Yeah, I'm all right. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. What are we now? 11 weeks. Oh, mate. Kids, kids got kicked out of school in the March. Oh, it is grueling. But I'm not complaining. Yeah, I've, I've, run out of, uh, I've run out of caviar. <laughs> so, you know, being empty nesting. <laughs> it's all about me luxury supplies. Yeah, yeah. So it's our graft. I'm telling you, it is, I've mate. Got, got a little bit it depressed is. about it today. No, it is. It is. I mean, I've, I've got one daughter at home, and yeah. she sat an exam today. I was out on the road, but I'm still it, it, waves of confinement sweep over you. Do you know? What yeah, I mean? yeah, mate. It's interesting. I had a bit of a perspective on it last night, actually. Uh, you know this. My little girl hurt herself on a bike ride. Yeah, we ended up. We ended up. Yeah, we ended up at A and E getting her head sewn up. But it made me realise, and I know we've been applauding the frontline workers for what ten weeks now. But I'd not been into hospital since this had all started, um, and the place was like a ghost town. I think, yeah, people, yeah people, I think people are scared to go. That's the first thing. But also, just the nursing team and the doctors and that. I think our NHS, and I know everyone's saying it, it is outstanding. Phenomenal. 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 And, and you cannot, when you've had perspective, as both of us have, of hospitals and care in other countries, particularly third world countries, you come back to the NHS and go, that is amazing. Great, 100%. So and, thank you for that. NHS. And they didn't collapse, didn't go under, the professional, efficient, and yep. care, properly, genuinely caring. I mean, amazing. Yeah. So, um, hey, um, we should highlight before we, I've got a relevant podcast good but before we get into that we should talk about what's coming up well we've got quite a lot coming up i mean we've got the regular sunday night live stuff is always worth a look isn't it sunday nights eight till nine facebook youtube tell your mates amazing so uh sunday night live we have yeah battleships uh, top threes, Olympic Mate. contenders. We got England's former strongest man, following yeah. Christ on there. Do you want to see a little promo I've done? Yeah, go on. All right, Let's let me see. Let me see if I can get this to work. Here we go. Here we go. Watch this. Here we go. I don't know if the sound will come through. Look at that hair. Huh? That's me locked down hair. Yeah. Big Phil. I'm flexing. I'm making gains, mate. It's kettlebells. <laughs> there you go that's class that yeah so sunday night live and obviously our regular podcast which this is and uh we have a special coming up at the end of june mate we have so tg20 bunker edition uh it is going to be incredible it's not going to be 
how it is 2,000 blokes in a field near Swindon. It's going to be different, but it is still going to be a lot of fun, isn't it, mate? It is. Uh, also, all the usual mayhem. We've got a couple of little surprises lined up, some <laughs> good bit of humour and some guests, and the gospel will be preached. Absolutely. And there's a special theme as well. There's a theme video on Facebook. Check that out. So anyway, that, that's coming up, and, and it's free. Yeah. So, you, you know, you want to get in on that and tell your mates it's, it's going to be your ideal Friday, Saturday night. And mate, also, cool thing with it is, for the first time ever, we are going to be reaching whole households with the gathering. It's like, your teenage kids might be sitting there. What's what are you watching there, Dad? Exactly. You know, Households. The wives be watching, taking part, and that's that's unique. It's exciting. Hundred percent. Yeah, get in on yeah. it. You're gonna love it. So loads of stuff we're working on for you guys. But um, obviously, in our podcast, sometimes we talk about current affairs. Sometimes we look at a book. We might discuss movies. Uh, yeah. Biblical things. Share our knowledge and experience. Yeah, which is vast. Vast. <laughs> we are in no sense we are in no sense when that's it man. musicians and artists and poets woof, woof, got it all <laughs> I'll be noodling away on my moonlight sonatas later come on, on. Keyboard. come on anyway we have occasionally looked at this book here by Feinze brilliant Sir Ranulph Fiennes called Fear and um, there is a, a chapter in this book called The Fear of Disease <laughs> timely so let me, uh, obviously he was, uh, Ranulph Fiennes is, not was, is an adventurer, ex-Special Forces. He got kicked out of the SAS, actually, mm. um, uh, for some amusing misdemeanor, I think. But he also, is a, he's, a, he's got a fear of heights, he's climbed K, K2 and all that sort of stuff. He's yeah. just one of them yeah. um, polar expeditions. But he, he has, uh, he talks about... Um, in his book about waterborne sicknesses and later Spanish flu. Mm. Uh, so let me read this. Um, I record a letter. This is in a book fear, uh, chapter fear of disease. I record a letter I had once received from Nick Holder who had contracted Bill Harzia during our Nile journey down the other side of Africa. Mm. He wrote about this waterborne sickness. Bill Harzia, otherwise known as schistosomiosis, Myasis is a disease occurring in most tropical countries and it currently afflicts over 200 million people worldwide. Wow, we probably never heard of it. It is caused by any of the three species of fluke called schistosomes. I'm probably pronouncing this terribly badly, but don't matter. If don't matter. And it is acquired by bathing or wading in infested lakes, rivers, and irrigation systems. Right, schistosome eggs are passed from an infected population to water and they are particularly prevalent in the waters of the Nile Valley in Egypt. Right. The eggs developed into tadpole-like creatures known as circaria, uh, which enter the human body under the finger and toenails. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Once into the bloodstream, they mature into adult worms. Complications of long-term infestation can cause cirrhosis of the liver, bladder tumours, kidney failure. Since the 1980s, treatment of disease has been revolutionised by a single dose of a drug known as praziquantel, which kills the flukes and prevents damage to the internal organs. Okay. However, back in 1967, when I had organised a British White Nile hovercraft uh, expedition... As you do. As you do. Some remedies were unknown, and Nick was cured in a more basic fashion as he went on to describe. 
We have been provided by our Nile sponsors with both water purifying kits and tablets. The tablets were easy to use because they dissolved in a glass of water. The only problem being the taste of the resulting liquid was awful and tainted everything we drank. Nice cups of tea were no longer nice. The alternative is a water purifying kit, which involved pouring the water into an open receptacle and then waiting up to a quarter of an hour as liquid passed through the gauze, which filtered out various contaminants. I'm afraid that patience was a virtue I wasn't born with, and I noticed that the purified water didn't look or taste very different from the unpurified water, which, after all, 15 million Egyptians drank every day and seemed to be okay. Mm. However, at the end of the expedition, when we returned to the UK, we were all checked out for the early signs of diseases such as malaria, sleeping sickness, and to my utter amazement, I was diagnosed. With Bill Hazia. Uh, let me let me carry on. At one local Niger world, Simon dropped a gallon or so of water in his roach bucket and then poured this into a jerry can through a filter. Little bastards, he muttered, <laughs> blowing at the filter's gauze. I peered over his shoulder and a dozen miniature hook-tailed tadpoles arrived in alarm as the warmers struck their horrid little forms. Hookworms, liverworms, toeworms, every sort and of kind of disease oh. carrier. And those are just the visible ones. Simon seemed delighted. Imagine what a drop of that water would look like under the microscope. The locals here must be eaten alive from within. In fact, the only fever one can contract from water is lassa fever. And for this to happen, you need to have exposed skin in water contaminated with rat urine. Oh. Or inhale droplets of such contaminated water. There are, of course, waterborne diseases that do result in fever. But fever is a manifestation of the immune system fighting infection and not the direct effect of the bad water. Let me, uh, let me just go down a bit. Uh, back to the book, page 112. The people who handled and buried diseased corpses were the ones most likely to succumb to these illnesses. Feces, especially human waste, is long known to those fatal bacteria such as cholera. And the link between someone drinking contaminated water and spewing watery vomit and diarrhea to further spread the disease was easily apparent. Simon, bitten by a great many insects and mosquitoes, developed malaria as did two members of our ship's crew. Charlie Burton found an eight-inch black scorpion in his sleeping bag, and en route through thick jungle, I filmed an army of thumb-sized black ants on the move in a meter-wide restless carpet over 100 meters long. By the light of his Land Rover, Oliver put two dead bats, which he'd lit into deep well, into a jar of formaldehyde. The bats were rare and exactly what the museum had requested. He'd heard that a pandemic in the Congo, Congo jungles from bat bites could transfer disease. Mm. Getting a bit near to the mark, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Back to the book. Either way, the blood-curdling descriptions that Oliver gave us of the deadly sufferings experienced by Ebola victims about which he'd been taught during his army-sponsored medical training made me wish to keep well away from Oliver's pickled bats. Now, this is extreme disease being described. Yeah. Back to book. We went inside the red zone. This is Ebola victims, where infected patients were isolated. Patients lay moaning on beds, buckets by the sides, brimming with feces, vomit, and blood. Young men, children, old men, couples. Basically, people are getting these diseases, and they are they are liquefying inside. Oh yeah, Ebola. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all these different diseases that is. Uh, um, describing and then it goes on eventually I got sick mm. one morning I woke dizzy and aching for a feverish night's sleep once in work I could barely walk for fatigue and I had to have my blood tested for Ebola the prospect of entering the suspect walk as a potential Ebola case was a terrifying one I chose to isolate at home I did get a positive result that I 
but my odds were 50-50. What put a sick dread into me was the mental picture I had of the unit, what I'd witnessed, the symptoms of what I'd heard. God, I didn't want to be squatting in a bucket. Defecating. I won't won't read what he wrote. Or lying incapable in a maggot-infested mattress. I didn't want to stagger around naked, moaning and glassy-eyed as the infected often did before they died, like zombies. When the World Health Organization said the evacuation by British government was an option, I jumped at it. I needed to get home. On a flight home inside a bubble isolator on a trolley, lashed down in the middle of an otherwise empty RF cargo plane, I spiked the temperature reaching 40 degrees. I started to see and feel how bad things might get. Eventually, he made it out of isolation. Now, before we go on to talk about Spanish flu, what he's basically describing is here, water carrying maggots and newt-like creatures. Yeah. And, and malaria and Ebola being around him. And, and what he's beginning to describe is that fear mm. that arises because you've seen the impact or mm. you've heard the news. Yeah. And it did make me think about our current situation. Yeah. How much fear is out there because of what we're hearing? Now, we have Patrick mm. Dixon on the show. Yeah. And what did he say the other day? He, he, on Sunday Night Live, he said something about going into intensive care. He probably... Uh, he said that if you go into intensive care, you've got 50% chance of survival. That was it, wasn't it? Yeah. Through COVID-19. Yeah. If you go to the hospital under blue lights and you go into intensive care, mm. 50% of the time you're going to die. Now, how did you feel when he said that? Yeah, not, not particularly happy, if I'm honest. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not fearful, but I'm trying to be safe. Um, but it is, it is certainly, yeah, it's a scary bit of data, isn't it? That, and, and that's why I said at the start, the hospital was empty, mate. Because people are reluctant to go because they're afraid. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Let me move on. Back to the book. The great 1918 worldwide influenza that killed millions just after the carnage of the First World War ended. The rat-infested trenches and wastelands of rotting bodies were ideal breeding grounds for this new virus, soon to be christened Spanish flu, mm. which caused five times as many deaths as had the Great War itself. Originating chickens and then passing to pigs and humans, the virus struck in the spring of 1918 and killed an estimated 50 million people, and perhaps more. A loving embrace exchanged at the end of the war between two people who may have not seen each other for several years risked the immediate transfer of the disease. This is written pre-COVID. It's incredibly prophetic, this book. The huge crowds of people who attended the armistice celebrations at Trafalgar Square in London and in hundreds of communal spaces up and down the country intensified the chances of the disease spreading. In Arizona, handshaking was outlawed. I didn't know Wow. Ah. And in France, spitting became a legal offence. Railway workshops turned to coffee manufacture and Red Cross ambulance became hearses. Whole classes of children were kept away from school by their wary parents, and instead they filled up the city's playground singing, I had a little bird, its name is Enza. I opened a window, and influenza. Wow. See, this has happened before. Yeah. Spanish flu emerged in two phases. In the late spring of 1918, the first phase, known as three-day fever, appeared without warning. Few deaths were reported. Mm-hmm. Victims generally recovered after a few days. 
When a disease surfaced again at autumn, it was far more severe, and some yeah. victims died within hours of their first symptoms. Wow. Those afflicted were first with a shivery twinge at breakfast. By lunchtime, their skin had gone purple, the colour of amethyst, a sinister beautiful shade of the heliotrope flower. And by the evening, before there was time to lay the tail for supper, death would have occurred, often caused by choking on a thick scarlet jelly that suddenly, suddenly clogged the lungs. One eyewitness account recorded that patients died struggling to clear the airways of a blood-tinged froth that sometimes gushed in their nose, ears and mouth. Oh, dear. Up to 20% of those infected died. And then, now, I'm just going to read this because it's local. You used to live there. Just as horrific, although no longer taught as a topic in most modern history lessons, was the Great Plague of the 17th century. In carrying out research for a book about the village folk of Eam, a remote spot in the Derbyshire Peak District, where you live, mate, yeah. In 1665, I received, relived a faint echo of the fear that they experienced. And you'll know the story. They, they isolated. They were the first socially distanced group of people. And yep. they decided to shut the... I mean, you, you tell the story because you lived there. Yeah, well, it was very much led by the uh, pastor of the church at the time and the Christians in the community to socially isolate themselves. So the... the it arrived at the tailor's house. He got some cloth and fabric from London, riddled with all the fleas and whatnot, carrying the disease, and it spread. And whole households were dying. Um, and it's now like a very... It's, it's a good tourist attraction now. But, yeah, they isolated themselves. So you can just walk maybe 10 minutes outside of Eam towards Stony Middleton um, and Fulo and other places, and there's boundary stones where there's holes drilled in that they would put coins in vinegar and stuff like that. And then the locals would take out the coins and leave food uh, to keep people in Eam alive. And it died with the people in Eam, but not all. But Saved the Peak District. Not a single case was outside of Eam. They saved the Peak District. Yeah. Now, the question is, I mean, that, that second wave of Spanish flu is a reminder for, for people just to yeah. keep minding the rules. Yeah, and well, that's the one that did the damage, wasn't it? The second wave. But the bigger question is, how does a man of God overcome these fears? Well, it's, it's fear of dying, isn't it? Primarily, yeah. it's a fear of an early, untimely, not violent, but not nice death. And I guess it's it's about an eternal perspective that our lives aren't, this you know they are more there's an eternal dimension to our lives that we haven't even like we're we're in the introduction of the book of our lives we're not even chapter one that's good and it's it's that fear of well this is it and of course i don't want to die i've got three kids i want to see grow up you know i want to retire and all this stuff i want to do a load more work yet but there is this earthly clinging on that we get all of us have got i think but there's a there's also a perspective that I'm an eternal being like this when this earth suit is done yeah Nathan's going on um, so yeah I, I think I think there's a there's a, an issue of a, an eternal perspective for us as Christian men yeah and once we even grasp just a fraction of that it gives us that hope that courage that confidence to say well okay this might be the end but I'm not going to go into it with my head down, I'm right. gonna I'm gonna go in right. 
living each day to the max. But you, but you sure. might get hit by a bus, mate. You might walk out your door and have a heart attack tonight. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. It's a perspective on what this life is all about. And the thing is, if you put your faith, hope, life and trust in Christ, you know that this life is not it. Yeah. It's come to give you life to the full now, but full, true fullness of life is, is to come, isn't it? Yeah. So we sort of, we, we, we can't see it. We, we see through a glass darkly, don't we? We can't touch it. But the kingdom of heaven is now, but not yet. We know yeah. that. But it's yeah. hard for us to grasp it. And I think when fear comes, you've got to remind yourself who you are and what you're about. Yeah. Where you're going, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Because fear, fear wants to rob you of that peace and that joy in your heart. And you see so many people without that hope and assurance that there is a life to come. And you see it in their eyes. There's this sort of emptiness. It's like, no, nah, there's more. We're right I'm not, on the I'm veil. Not not obsessive about this, but I do think about dying. Yeah. Because I think it's healthy. Yeah. After, yeah. It's good to it's good to remember your mortality. Mate, I, I've been talking a bit about this recently, <coughs> that in the UK, I don't think, until COVID, I don't think we had a strong death narrative. And that no, sounds a bit morbid. People don't see dead bodies. No, no. I'll, never, I'll, never, I'll tell you a story. I'll never cool. forget. I'll never forget taking a young student pastor with me to see someone who died. Yes. Family around the, the body in the living room. She died of cancer in the lounge on her bed. So I went to see the family. I took this guy with me and they're all gathered around the body. Now, people don't see dead bodies in our culture that often. They don't witness people dying. We shield ourselves from it. Now, yep. our work, we've probably seen a, a bit of death. Seen a few. Yeah. So anyway, I, I went in there and it's interesting when you actually see someone die, you see the animation come out of their face straight away. Your yep. soul is gone. You something, see it. something goes. You Weird. see it. Yeah, 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 you see it. Like, well, it's like a man's sword's right. It's like yep. a shell. Instantly. It's just an engine left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we go in there, and this young pastor goes, uh, Excuse me, he said, to the husband. To the husband. Excuse, excuse me. I said, well, Let's change his name. Let's call him Steve. He goes, what, 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 what is it, Steve? And he said, how do you know she had died? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. he went, he looked at her and went, because she stopped breathing. <laughs> and he went, oh. And, and I said to him afterwards, I went, that is not a good approach, pastoral approach. It's blokes has lost his wife to cancer. Oh. He went, how do you know? I said, I didn't. He said, it was shock. Uh, it was a total shock response. I'd, I'd, I'd not in my head what it was like to see a dead body and this is the problem yeah we don't see death so i think about and i think part of our job because we often liken it you know in our role as pastors and stuff yeah. we check people in and we check them out we look after them in the yeah. middle yeah we check, check them in check them out yeah. that's what we do and uh be blunt about it so I, I do think about it i think it's important for a man of god to think about his life and his death mate absolutely absolutely and it is yeah, the death narrative is essential. And, and also, it, this sounds a bit sad, or not morbid, but I think the Bible, I've read it somewhere, it says like, that you, like grass grows and withers and then its place remembers it. it no more. That's it. And I thought about that a lot because I've lost all my grandparents now. And like, if I drive past their houses where they used to be, that place remembers them no more. 
Yeah. But there's now new people in that house. There's no memory of my grandparents. There's no, you know, there's no marker that they were ever there. You know, on, so, on the earth now, there's no mark other than a gravestone you can visit. It, the place is gone. And, and I think that keeps us on our toes. It keeps us in the present. Like, now is the time for living. Because tomorrow might not come. Let me read it out to you. So Isaiah 40. There you go. A voice of one calling. In a wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight for the desert, a highway for our God. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain, hill made low. And the rough ground become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people see it together. For the mouth of the Lord spoke. A voice cries out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. Yeah. And their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Yeah. Because of the breath of the Lord blows in them. Surely the people of grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. There you go. And that's something we were talking about this on text on another, it was a different issue just yesterday about the essential ingredients of a Christian man, let's say, as we're talking about men, is to be grounded and rooted in the Bible and nothing else. Yeah, we exchanged, didn't we? Because yeah. you can, we were saying, weren't we, that you can, you can tell when a leader is rooted in prayer and the word. We're not being yeah. judgmental here. No, no, no. But you can tell when someone's coasting on force of personality, even their gifting and natural talents. Yep, yep. Or, or they've got that and they're rooted in the word, or they've yep. not got huge gifts and talents, but they're rooted in the word and prayer. Yep. You can, you can tell the ones who are, who are under the anointing of the, the Holy yeah, Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you feel it yourself. And I've felt it when it's been red hot, and then when I've been living in sin or being an idiot, it goes real cold. And you it can feel it. Cold goes cold. You can feel it. We've both been through those days. <laughs> yeah. You know, when we faced our challenges. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and I've, I've, felt, I've felt the presence of the Lord lift off me. Yeah. I, you know, just for anyone listening, yeah, we're not talking about going into terrible sin here. <laughs> we're talking is when, we, when you're walking so close to the Lord, yeah. you know when you've stepped aside. You do. Thing. And I and I and I almost felt a whisper, Lord, once or twice, saying to me, "Do you like the way that feels?" <laughs> and I don't. Uh, you know, uh, and and just as a little aside, here, you could be tempted to be mucking about here and listening. Uh, it'll take you to a cold, dark place. Yeah. I'd rather I'd rather live under this this, this shadow of the wing of the Lord. And and I, I agree, mate. And I think God does. Can I say God does? He God proves His men. He proves us. He takes us into situations. He allows us into places that prove our faith, and it, it refines us. And that's that's where it gets hot. See these lines around my eyes. <laughs> war lines. <laughs> mate, yeah, we've seen some wars. I've seen some battles. Got some scars. Done something new for this fight. <laughs> I'll be wrestling the alligator. That's <laughs> the wheel. That's a great Muhammad Ali quote. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, so there's some thoughts. There you go. Death and disease. Spanish <laughs> influenza. Nice one, mate. It's a good chat. Good to chat, mate. Yeah. See you next time.